Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Syracuse is playing for the national title. It's too long, and Syracuse is your national champion. Who's out? Who's out? Who's out? Who's out? What's up, Syracuse fans? It's Mike McAllister from AllSyracuse.com, part of the Sports Illustrated Fan Nation Network, with episode 92 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast presented by Bet Online. In this episode, we are going to talk about Syracuse's win over Wake Forest. Big takeaways from that win, Garrett Schrader's legacy, predict where Syracuse will end up going in bowl season, as well as who their opponent will be, and discuss who we would block if we had the ability to block one player on Syracuse's roster from entering the transfer portal. The last of the major sports leagues is off and rolling, and college basketball is ready to go as well. BetOnline remains your top spot for all your live betting action and contests. NFL, college football, UFC, and NHL are all in full swing. BetOnline is your number one source for wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. All the hoops betting action along with every sport available at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access at any time. Head to BetOnline today and remember to use the promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Let's go bowling, y'all. Syracuse is six and six after beating Wake Forest 35 to 31. And what was one of the most entertaining games for Syracuse football on their schedule this year? I was lucky enough to be able to take my son and go with uh, my wife's uncle to the game who was in from out of town. So we had fun sitting in the stands watching the game. Uh, crazy game. Wasn't really back and forth because Syracuse was kind of in the lead the whole way, but uh, Wake Forest wouldn't go away, but Syracuse was able to pull it out and they go bowling for in back-to-back seasons for the first time in a decade. I, of course, as always, have Sydney, Josh, and Griffin with me to break it all down. We're going to go a little bit high level and then kind of talk about uh, some themes with the season overall and uh, look at ahead to potential bowl matchups. So we're going to start, though, with the win. Syracuse wins 35-31, as I said. Garrett Schrader actually played like a quarterback in this game. He threw for 173 yards and three touchdowns. We'll get to him momentarily. But I'm I'm curious as we go around the room here, what is the main takeaway from this win? We're going to go to you, Sydney, to start us off. I think it has to be Damian Alford. I mean, this was his breakout game, in my opinion, you know, I think everyone was kind of waiting for him to take that step up, especially when injuries, you know, came early on and he became the player. And this was the first time I really felt like he emerged and just trusted himself and used his height and all of his athletic abilities, you know, to his talent degree that everyone knew he was capable of. And it just felt like he was playing with this different type of confidence and the chemistry between him and Trader was the best we'd seen But if he can keep playing like that, um, you know, and obviously if we have someone who can pass him the ball, I think he will be another threat in the bowl game and could very much help him. But I think it has to be him. He was the biggest surprise 
Um, wish we would have seen it earlier in the season, but still thankful that it was there to help them get the win for the bowl. But then, you know, you just have players who continue to dominate. You have Valari, who I was really impressed with his arm. We'd seen him run a ton, but this was the first time I felt like he really showed us. Yes, he was a quarterback and he before. And now I see why, especially with his his longer passes. And then LeQuint with 144 yards. I thought he did a tremendous job again. Yeah, better late than never, I think, with Damian, right? Uh, and, and I think the most surprising thing is we went into the game not knowing if Syracuse would have one of its quarterbacks that could actually throw the ball. And even when Valari had been under center, he hadn't really shown the ability or the willingness or perhaps uh, you know the play calling wasn't there for him to throw the ball down the field. Um, although he did in this game on, on one of uh, Damian Alford's touchdown catches was, was from Dan Valari. So... You know, that that was good to see for sure. And and I like the shout out to to Dan Villar because he's been since they've kind of had to reinvent this offense, one of the most selfless players, I think, in all of this, completely changing what his role has been. And I think has emerged as someone that Syracuse fans think you can build part of the offense around going into next year. Uh, Griffin, we're gonna go to you next. Your takeaways from Syracuse's win over Wake Forest. I was very impressed with the commitment to the game plan and the trust in that. That was very big in the pit win was it was going to be a different offense. And they knew that all week long. And it took a little bit of that game for them to really be accustomed to that unorthodox style of offense. But you could see right from that first drive offensively that uh, with Garrett being able to pass a little bit more, that just made things so much easier for the run game and allowed uh, not a stacked box that LaQuint has seen over these last few weeks and actually allow him to to get some open holes and get some more yards out of that too. So I think Garrett came in in a lot of big spots. I know we're going to touch on that in a little bit. Um, but I was a little weary of the defense at times. I think they were pretty suspect to allow big plays. I thought that was kind of interesting because that has been the backbone for so uh, many of these weeks, especially since ACC play started. Um, but I think because they've been so accustomed to being on the field for substantially large amounts of time throughout this season, maybe sometimes you're, you're not in a groove early on um, when the offense was really hitting their stride, especially after a few weeks of having, you know, drives where you really couldn't sustain any offense at all. So uh, I think overall, very pleased with uh, the grit that they had, because that's not easy to do with all the outside noise and knowing that your season's on the line and to be able to come out with the win was very commendable. Josh, your thoughts? Um, kind of a combination of what Sydney is saying in terms of what Damien, uh, you know, Damien's you know best game of the year, like the grit that Griffin talked about. This team, you know, it, it's uh even in a win, it almost feel like a thing. Of what could have been? This is a team they put up the most points they had against a Power Five opponent like, since that Purdue game, and obviously we know they were missing their best offensive piece throughout this entire season. But just what could have been? What could have been if Gary Schrader had been healthy and looked someone like this guy all year? What could have been if Damon Alford looked like this dominating presence that could have been that he that he was that his body and his um highway speed combination tells us he should be able to be? What could have been if this mob defense um had been able to have been bailed out by this offense to this to this extent throughout the entire year? So not to have too much of revisionist history, but with the way that this offense played on Saturday, obviously, you know, um, I guess it's hard to gauge in terms of like healthiness of, of Schrader and you know the unpre- the lack of preparedness from Wake Forest in terms of not knowing the offensive attack they, they were gonna get, but um, 35 points from this offense in any form or stretch of the, uh, any form way um, is a blessing, especially with the defense that they had. So I, I think for me, you're looking at obviously we're getting we're going bowling, 
But um, what just could have been, honestly, if the offense had performed like this uh, throughout the entire season? Yeah, no question. You're, there's going to be a lot of what-ifs, I think, from that perspective, because it almost seems like perhaps they should have been a run-focused team kind of right from the get-go, right, with the way that the offensive line has run-blocked the last three, four games and uh, the way that LaQuinn Allen has, has run. And, you know, you could have mixed in some Dan Valari there as well and some of your backup running backs and, and even, you know, Garrett Schrader. Obviously, we know that's his biggest strength. So I, I think there was perhaps a missed opportunity to – to change the way that the offense approached things earlier in the season. Now, defensively, my big takeaway was the defense was awful for most of the game against a bad offense. I think what was the worst offense in the ACC coming in. And I expect if you told, would have told me before the game that Syracuse is going to score 35 points, I thought they would have won by at least three touchdowns. Honestly, it, it I just, it just did not seem like Wake Forest was an offense that I had to worry about, especially seeing what they did against, um, you know, Georgia Tech, even in the second half, especially it, that Georgia Tech's offense is legit. And Syracuse was much better against them than they were against Wake Forest. Wake Forest offense is terrible. So that was a little disappointing. The, the positive was when they needed to make plays, they made them enough of them to win the game, whether it was um, off of a turnover whether it was the, the fourth down stop late in the game that that sealed the win. Um, they made a couple of plays just enough to get the win. So it was good they were able to step up in clutch moments, but a little disappointed with their performance overall. And hopefully that doesn't carry over to the bowl game. No, and that's now, a fact, even with um with Michael Kern, we talk about, you know, way force particularly not knowing the offensive attack that we were going to go with. You couldn't say the same for uh for us on the defensive side of the ball. Kern has been this the starter for I think two weeks now since they they took out uh Mike Mitch Griffs in the NC State game. Um, he hasn't looked like the way he performed at all in any of Wake Forest's games. But it couldn't it wasn't a situation to where you should be unprepared. Jamal Banks is a preseason All First Team ACC guy. Taylor Marin has been a guy that's made plays on special teams more than at receiver most of this year. But in terms of their base offensive attack, even under uh, Dave Doran in general, like this is not a thing. We we shouldn't have been unprepared for um, the way that Wake Forest was going to attack us. So that was another thing to where like it wasn't a, a surprise or there shouldn't have been a lack of uh, schematic preparation. So that was also a thing that was like just shocking to see. Yeah, and and to your point, even in a situation where you weren't sure which quarterback was going to play, the scheme is still the same. This isn't Syracuse throwing out the the run focused offense without the ability to throw the ball that they did against Pittsburgh and completely caught them off guard. Pittsburgh had no idea that was coming because it was so different from everything they had done. This, this was certainly not that. Now I want to focus specifically on Garrett Schrader. Um, again, as we mentioned, he's been hurt. He has not been able to throw a football for, for weeks and he comes out in this one and somehow guts it out, throws for 173 yards and three touchdowns runs for another touchdown. What, not only what what does this mean for for Garrett Schrader for this season, but but what does this mean, and what what is kind of your opinion on what his legacy is uh, for Syracuse football? Josh, we're going to go right back to you. Um, having been here a couple of years and watching him, and uh, you know, Mike, you know, us having gone back and forth about um, his validity as a quarterback, I'll be transparent and saying that I didn't always think he was the best option for SU, but. We talk about a him leading this program to you know feast to heights they haven't reached in a decade, and him you know inarguably being one of the most productive dual threat quarterbacks in his time here. So I think that we look at his legacy here at SU, 
and uh, uh, Brent X referred to this in some of his articles where um, he's not going to be at the top of any issue rankings, but he's going to be top five in a lot of them. I think that you have to uh, look at him as a guy that got it done no matter what, whether with his legs, whether we're working through some injuries, even going, you talk about his Syracuse legacy, but even coming here as a guy that wasn't a quarterback coming from his previous school, he was a receiver at Mississippi State. So um, it has a receiver experience. So, you know, for him to come in for to a reason that he wasn't um, familiar with beforehand, being able to lead this team his way, um, as we know that, you know, being the face of a college football program can go a variety of different ways. And um, regardless of his play on the field, he never cracked, he never blamed, he never was, um, he never um, put the responsibility of the loss on anybody except himself. I think that you look at it's a first-class guy and a first-class athlete that led this program to the best of his ability. So regardless of you know, nuance of things of whether you know, his accuracy or whether or not he made the right decision with the ball every play. I think that this is a guy that we can undoubtedly say gave his all to this program and left it all on the field. Yeah, I, I agree with that. He's, you know, Eric Dungy is remembered fondly because of his, you know, uh, the the impression that he was sort of like a warrior out there that no matter how hurt he was, he was out there trying to give you everything he could, right? And of course, he had that 10-win season, which is was his send-off and that obviously is a little different than than Garrett's send-off with the the six wins and and the seven wins last year but Garrett got to two bowl games and Eric Dungey only got to one so there's a little feather in in Garrett's cap but I think as time goes by people will look at him more fondly understanding some of the things that he had to deal with and go through just to get out there and, and contribute. And like you said, never complained, never got in trouble off the field. Uh, very likable. Anytime you interact with him, I think that will help him as well. Uh, Griffin, your thoughts on, on Garrett Schrader and his legacy. I think he is a player that Syracuse can put on a pedestal moving forward for recruits and say, this is the type of character player we want to have in our program because like both of you said he's put everything on the line uh with an injury especially to that throwing shoulder when he had the offseason surgery on the elbow and as somebody who personally like that ruined my career I couldn't throw a baseball anymore after my sophomore year and you know those are times where you think this is going to be my last game this potentially could be the last game that I ever play at Syracuse or ever and what am I going to do? Am I going to let my teammates down? What am I going to do? And for him to uh, have a performance like that, that was gutsy, and he was still able to throw the ball and ran it efficiently. And even to see the morale of the guys when he started to get in the groove and have a few passing touchdowns, there was a different energy on the field. And I think he is a huge catalyst of that uh, at any point so far this year. With the media, he's always been uh, extremely transparent. He's been fair. He's always you know, been there every Tuesday, one of the first guys. He knows that he's going to be swarmed by all of us and still will uh, take it on the chin every single time. So uh, for what he's been able to do on the field, like you guys said, he's not going to go down as the best quarterback at Syracuse of all time and, and maybe kind of be towards that tail end of maybe a top five, but still for his ability to be a high-character person, I think that's the lasting impact that Garrett Schrader is going to have. Sydney, your thoughts on Garrett Schrader and, and his legacy? I mean, echoing what everyone says, obviously we can talk about the physical side all day, but I think without a doubt he was able to walk off the field at the Dome knowing he left his heart and soul on the field and within this program. And you could tell clear as day if you listen to his post-press conference, 
about how choked up and emotional in this place meant a lot to him. You know, he was the first to say coach Babers in this place gave him an opportunity and through every trial and tribulation he faced, he still led the program to two bowl games. And I think without a doubt, if any game defines his career, it should be this last game because like we've all mentioned, we've seen for weeks that he's clearly dealing with an injury that hasn't allowed him to throw and they've had to completely rearrange their offense and while he may give credit to his trainers and there's obviously some success that allowed him to get there at the end of the day, he still was playing very unhealthy, not at the top of his game and to do what he did, but also to do it for his teammates. Because as he said, there were so many voices in his head telling him different things. And if you have a guy who's only looking out for himself and a potential future career in the NFL, if that's what he chooses to go for, you don't play in that game. You don't risk being injured more. But he was more concerned about giving back to his teammates and to a program that took a chance on him after Mississippi State. And I think that just speaks tremendous volumes to the love he had for Syracuse. And I hope Syracuse can appreciate that for years to come. Yeah, no question. Now, the the thing that I think some are going to do with Garrett is they're going to kind of play the what-if game with him and it stems back to those injuries. For example, if he doesn't get hurt last year, do they beat Clemson at Clemson? Because he wasn't the same quarterback in the second half, which is why they didn't score in the second half. And they were dominating Clemson up until that point. One touchdown, one score would have won that game for them in the second half. Do they win that game? And then do, you know, I don't think that means they were, they were going to go undefeated by any means, but do they win, you know, at least a couple more games and he gets, you know, a nine win season under his belt and a a prominent bowl game. And then you start putting him in the discussion with the Eric Dungy and, and similar to uh, this year, he never seemed to really be the same after he took that hit on the first play. Once again, against Clemson, the one where they called targeting and then reversed the call, regardless of what you think of that call, it was still a massive hit. And he just kind of never looked the same after that. And it just makes you wonder if he's always kind of had a lot of things going on that we didn't really know about from an injury perspective and how much different his career may have been in the types of seasons that he may have had if he had not had to deal with those, but he did. And that's life. And that's, that's football. It's a, it's a physical sport. It's a violent sport and injuries happen. So it is what it is. But I think some people will, will certainly have that discussion. Now, before we get into what happens, you know, beyond the bowl game, I want to focus on that bowl game and get everyone's prediction on not only where Syracuse is going to end up, but who their opponent is going to be. Sydney, we're going to go right back to you to start. My biggest prediction is they're going to play in the Armed Forces Bowl. And the team that I think they'll face is Kansas. But I also wouldn't be surprised if it's West Virginia, both eight and four teams, but I think that bowl is very, very likely that they end up in Texas. West Virginia is interesting because Syracuse and West Virginia have a long history from playing in the Big East together, and they faced each other a few years ago in the Camping World Bowl. A few years before that, uh, Doug Marone's last game was against Geno Smith's West Virginia team in the Pinstripe Bowl. Syracuse won that game with Ryan Nassib at quarterback. So that those are some some interesting uh, connections there for sure. Josh, we'll go back to you. Where, where do you think Syracuse ends up and who do you think their opponent ends up being? 
you know, I was talking to Griffin before we got on here, and I'll, I'll be uh, transparent that predicting bowl games and uh, opponents, not my forte. I uh, look at what's no excuses. Smart pe- what other smart people say on this subject, like Sydney and Griffin, of course, and uh, kind of go along with the theme. Um, you feel what I'm saying? When you when you're not a, when you're not when you're Ben Simmons from the three point line, you learn how to pass the ball. So I will go with what some of the major networks have said and not copy Sydney's flow. I will go with the Birmingham Bowl. So that gets us getting back below the Mason Dixon line. Hopefully, I can get a little bit of Southern home cooking if I can get down there. And uh, with that, having an AC tie in, I believe that will leave us Rice or USF. And um, USF, because I like green. So. Yeah, I mean, he's he's got some extra motivation there trying to get some home cooking. So this may be a little wishful thinking in his prediction, but I can't blame you for that, for sure. And I think the the uh, players would appreciate going to a warmer climate as well, even if, you know, Birmingham, Alabama is not, you know, necessarily a, a booming metropolis by any means. But uh, th- that's it's still, you know, I think to some it, it is bigger than Syracuse, uh, but it's not, you know, if you were to go to a Miami or something like that. But either way, it's it's. I don't think it's it's as desirable as going to Florida, but I think it's better than from a, a player's perspective, better than like a, a pinstripe bowl or something like that, at least from a weather standpoint, if nothing else. Um, Griffin, your thoughts on Syracuse's bowl game and and who they're going to face. So I'm going to try to continue to speak things into life. Uh, it was pretty early on the Bob Chesney train. That seems like it's going, I don't know anymore, but it was looking good for a while. <laughs> Uh, so for this one, I'm going to also, because I want to go to a warm climate, uh, the Gasparilla Bowl, that'd be cool. Tampa, Florida, sunshine. Um, two different ways that that could go with with the AAC, or it could be an SEC team. So uh, I think Rice would be kind of boring, so I, I hope it isn't Rice. Um, but what about this? What if it's Texas A&M, two teams that coaches – uh, I think the storylines could be good there, or Auburn. I don't know. This is the time of the year. You have no idea, and none of us will. So it might as well have fun with it. Texas, Texas A&M would be interesting because, like you said, two teams that have fired their coach, so they've got interim coaches battling yeah, against each I other who are probably not going to be – You know, I, I don't know whether Nunzio is going to be back on the staff next year. Now. I think he's got a chance to be, but um, there's no guarantee that either of them are going to be back on the staff the, the next year. So that's – that's an interesting little storyline there to have, you know, the guys that you know are not going to be the head coach next year. Sure. Yeah, the lame duck ball. I mean, they could probably get some sort of uh, extra sponsorship from that maybe to to add some extra funds in there. But uh, my prediction is going to be the Fenway Bowl. Syracuse went to a baseball stadium last year at Yankee Stadium for the Pinstripe Bowl. Now they're going to go over to the rival Boston Red Sox, my preferred team, and also as terrible as the Yankees were last year. And they are going to face, I was originally good, was leaning towards South Florida, but since Josh already picked South Florida, just in the interest of throwing another team out there, I'm going to go with Navy. Now, Navy is currently not bowl eligible. They are five and six, but they've got Army in their last game coming up this weekend. So I'm predicting, my prediction is twofold. One, Navy is going to beat Army in that game, which is always one of the more fun games of the college football season to get to bowl eligibility. And then they are going to play Syracuse in the Fenway bowl, Syracuse versus Navy. So that would be the second military team that Syracuse has faced this season. And we know Syracuse is playing at army next year. So they'll just kind of keep that trend rolling. Now, the last thing that that I want to get to before we wrap up this episode is we know Syracuse is in the midst of trying to find its head coach. As we currently speak, 
Um, the the last reporting was that Fran Brown, the defensive backs coach at Georgia, was emerging as the top candidate. By the time you're listening to this, it's entirely possible that the that there has been something official or, or uh, a more concrete report from someone that says the coach has actually been named. But to this point, there are already four Syracuse players that have entered the transfer portal. And the the question I have for everyone else is, if you had the ability to wave a magic wand and block one player currently on the Syracuse roster who has the ability to transfer from transferring, who would it be? Sydney, we're going to go start with you. Absolutely, LaQuinn Allen. I mean, I think that should be everybody's first player. If you can secure him, I think you'll secure a lot of other guys. You'll get recruits to say everyone will kind of buy into the program because LaQuinn Allen is your future in terms of offense. You know, had a phenomenal year, filled in the shoes of Sean Tucker even more so. I think he brings just a different look on the field. But, you know, there's going to be a lot of questions in in quarterback. But I think if you can lock down LaQuinn Allen, your offense – absolutely has a chance at being explosive and putting points on the board. Griffin. Yeah. So I knew everybody was going to say LeQuint. So I was thinking of other <laughs> positions and I feel like to keep the mob, the way that it's been going, you need somebody on the back end, but I also, I don't know, this one might be a hot take, but even like a guy like Derek McDonald, like, I feel like, I, I don't know. I think with the linebacker position, they've always had that guy. And uh, what I've seen from him this year is a lot of growth in many different ways. So I'm going to say him. Gosh. ATL, baby. And um, fellow Newhouse student, Derek McDonald. That's a good pick, Rick. Thank you. Um, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to give out two names, but I got a reason behind it. Both guys were hurt this year, and I think that they would have had much bigger breakout roles and would have been on that LaQuint type of deal. They ain't got hurt. Um, Steph Thompson on the defensive side of the ball is a big one for me. We saw him, A, lose a starting spot to uh, Leon Lowry, who is in the He's in the portal. But right. also, you look at, since he's been on campus, the the pass rush productivity was something this team sorely needed this year. But also just the productivity in general, how he's been a, in that same vein of Marlowe and Kale, the guy that's in, in that linebacker court that Griffin mentioned, that's been the backbone of this defense. So I think with him having a year that he's fully healthy and determined, not even determined, but uh, just able to get his body to back to that 2021 form, I think that he could be a guy that could be a 100-tackle guy, a double-digit sack guy. And um, if losing him, you would hate to see him go to a program and put up those numbers when you know he could do it those first two years here. On the offensive side of the ball, um, I'll go with uh, one of the Twin Towers and Isaiah Jones. He's also a guy I feel like, you know, with the injury that he had last year and then this year, he was a guy that looks really good, like wide receiver one in um in fall camp and in and in, in spring, honestly. And I think that um given opportunity, he can be a guy that can carry this offense in a way, at least from the receiving from the receiving perspective, in a way that Dame um couldn't. So with both of those guys kind of having unfinished business and not having really reached their true um output here, I think that it would be both of those guys for the reasons I named would be massive losses and they would they would go to other programs and have better years they probably ever have had here. Yeah, now, um, I did say one, and you picked two, but in your defense, I didn't tell you we'd have to do math in this episode, so we'll 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 let it slide that that's cool but um i'm i'm gonna steal your thunder and kind of do the same thing offensively i would block aronde gadsden now i think ultimately he's gonna decide whether to go pro or come back but the worst thing for syracuse is that he decides to come back to college and transfers out that would be 
just a massive blow because we know how talented he is and how good he's been. But I would understand why he might decide to do that if he doesn't think his NFL draft stock is high enough considering the injury that he dealt with. And he's not sure what the new offense is going to look like. So how much will he be featured and have a chance to increase his stock? Now you figure he'd be a central part of the offense, but how much are they going to throw his way? You just don't know. So I would understand, you know, at least looking around. So I would block that. But defensively, I'm going to go with someone that's a little outside of the box. Not going to go with a starter. I'm not going to go with someone whose name has been called much this year. I'm going to go with linebacker Caden Bailey. He's a backup linebacker. He had a fantastic pinstripe bowl last year, filling in for uh, Mikel Jones, who who, uh, opted out of the bowl game. And I think he has the potential to be a really good linebacker. I love his his athleticism. He's got incredible speed for that position. Now, we don't know how it's going to fit with whatever system the new coach is going to bring in, but I just think he's got enough potential that I'd want to block him and prevent him from going somewhere else and making a name for himself, especially because he's from Georgia. Uh, he comes from, uh, you know, he's, he's related to Champ Bailey and Boss Bailey. We know who those guys were, NFL players, great college players and all of that. So you have that lineage in your program. You have a great player from the state of Georgia. You can That will help you in recruiting. I think if, if he ends up becoming a really good player and you have him in your program, that helps you on a lot of fronts. So I would block him, even though I don't think that's a name that most people are going to look at as one of their, their top guys. But I do agree with Sydney. I think the obvious answer, if anyone could block just one player, I think LaQuinn Allen's probably going to be the most uh, the, the most picked guy if you were to pull Syracuse fans. But that'll do it for this episode of the Believe in Syracuse podcast for Sydney, Josh, and Griffin. I'm Mike McAllister, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.